Welcome everybody to Black Coffee and Theology. Hello everyone. Hey, we are moving right along through this season as I have beautiful conversations with people that I respect uh, and that I admire in vastly different ways. With that said, on today's um, podcast, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Larita Coleman-Brown, who is all the things, uh, a retreat leader, a a speaker, a spiritual companion. And she has written this book, What Makes You Come Alive? A Spiritual Walk with Howard Thurman. And it is like a primer for Howard Thurman and some deep thoughts around contemplation, around Black contemplatives, and hmm, it's wonderful. I also have another conversation later in the season uh, with someone else about Black contemplatives. So with that said... Just sit back and relax and enjoy this conversation with Dr. Loretta Coleman Brown. Everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I am excited for this conversation because. Hey, I only have the best uh, people on this podcast, and today we have Dr. Larita Coleman-Brown. Professor Brown, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be on it. I didn't know about it, actually, for a long Mm -hmm. time, and so I'm just delighted to be here. Mm -hmm. Yes, I... I'm excited. I uh, had the opportunity to read uh, your wonderful book, which we'll talk about in a second. But something that I ask every uh, guest is tell us who you are and how you show up in the world. And I love all the different answers to this because who you are to yourself is usually different than what you do, or maybe it's the same. But I'm just curious. Tell us who you are. Well, someone uh, recently said to me that I was the a loving, deep, peaceful, free, compassionate presence of the Holy Spirit, and I was like, "Really? Hey, I want to. I want to be that." <laughs> Same. <laughs> Give me some. But I, but I, I think one of the ways I show up in the world is a fairly peaceful person. I've always. Uh, known that I am as people describe it deep and um, I'm working on the compassion and the freedom so so I I love that idea but I uh, have spent uh, much of my uh, career as a psychology professor but I've been retired from that uh, for a number of years and um, as I was finishing I uh, studied to be a spiritual director companion. So I sit and talk with people about their spiritual lives. Uh, I'm a contemplative and uh, a mystic on occasion. (laughs) And 
a disciple of the spirit. That's how I like to describe myself. Disciple of the spirit. Mm -hmm. Trying to fulfill my sacred call. Mm -hmm. I love that. One other question, a fun question that I ask people uh, sometimes is name a song that encapsulates how you feel today or a song that really, really blesses you that you love? Oh my, that's a tough question because mm. I love music and I love so many different kinds of music. Uh, and there's just all these different titles you know, flying through my mind at the same time. Uh, wow. I'm just trying to think of a name of a song that uh, uh, is, you know, one of my favorites and would describe how I feel today. I mean, there's happy. I love that. I love that. But uh, wow. Summer Breeze, that's one of my favorite. That's an old Ooh. song. But I, you know, I just would like to be a summer breeze, actually. Mm. <laughs> and I how it. I feel. Yeah, summer breeze. I think that's good. Mm. Okay. That, I was that not yes, yeah. I do. I was not expecting that. <laughs> uh, cheers. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So on the docket for today, uh we're talking about this wonderful book uh, that you've written, What Makes You Come Alive, A Spiritual Walk with Howard Thurman. Mm, I, I have to uh, confess for the podcast, I am a Howard Thurman um, fan. <laughs> I, lo I, lo I love me some him. And I have counted it a privilege to read this book this it's a good book so many things i didn't even know about howard thurman were here um you just you captured here and as well as intertwined your own journey about howard thurman and your own journey into contemplation and whatnot uh let me first ask it what was the impetus for you writing this book usually people have a certain event or a series of events. What led you to writing this? Well, I wasn't intending to write a book about Howard Thurman, let me just say from the beginning. <laughs> I love this. And I, uh, I was finishing up that spiritual direction program and looking for an African or African-American mystic. Because of course, you know, they were not going to, there was nobody to, to even present as far as they were concerned. And so I started asking around and, uh, you know, a clergy friend of mine said, oh, you don't know about Howard Thurman. And I was like, no, who is he? And, he's like, and I was, I was actually, I was appalled. I was astonished. I was embarrassed to think that this man, this amazing man had been to the earth and gone. And I didn't know anything about him. And so as a matter of fact, we we uh, were in the both living in the Bay Area in the early '70s, and I had no idea. But I had a professor who would go talk with him. This particular professor, J. Herman Blake, was studying the Black Panthers, and actually Thurman was kind of interested in the Black Panthers, what they were doing as an organization. Yes, um, but he wasn't he wasn't really high on the violence, but he was high on the community stuff that mm, was going yes, on. Yes, yes, yes. 
So, but, but I just found out this uh, from the professor recently that he had had known and talked with Howard Thurman regularly. So this idea that I didn't know who he was bothered me uh, because I had been part of so many uh, uh, black churches along the way. I did a lot of, move, you know, some moving uh, with my career, but also that I had attended so many retreats and spirituality events and his name was never mentioned. And so uh, I found that very troubling. And then I, of course, would ask other people, do you know who Howard Thurman is? And they would say, no, who is he, right? Black people, white people, it didn't matter. They just didn't know who he was. Uh, and so a friend of mine encouraged me uh, to, uh, Carl McCullman encouraged me to start leading some retreats on him because he was, he was doing a series called Praying with the Mystics. And I thought, yes, mm -hmm. he needs to be part of that idea of praying with the mystics. So I started leading retreats on him and I happened to be at the, for one of those at the Wild Goose Festival. And I'm not sure if people are familiar yeah. with that, yeah. but it's a, a gathering that happens every summer in North Carolina. And um, you know, one uh, particular day I was walking in with a friend of mine and uh, this woman, uh, Beck Cranford drove up to us in a golf cart and said, Hey, do you need a ride? Because you know people sort of get rides around the, the grounds, and uh, we said no. We you know we were interested in just walking, and so she asked us what we were doing, and I said I was giving some talks on Howard Thurman, and she said, "Really? Did you fly or drive?" And we said, "I said we drove." She said, "Well, stay right there," and she goes into the campground and comes back with a picture of Howard Thurman that she. I loved painted. this story in the book. It's yes. true. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> And I was like, she said, here, this is for you. And she puts it in my hands and then she leaves. Like, where are you going to go with this big painting? <laughs> no, I, but I was just like, okay. And I'm a person who pays attention to signs and things. So I'm like thinking, Howard Thurman is just kind of showing up here in a really <laughs> strong way. So, but I took the painting home and put it, you know, on the sort of set it in the living room or something and just kind of looked at it and uh and he it was almost as if his you know he had those penetrating eyes it was almost as if he was looking at me like saying so what are you doing you know are you out there because what I discovered really is that so there's a lot of, of material written about Howard Thurman and he is um the darling of many seminaries and um uh you know, places of theological discussion, but they're very scholarly. And mm -hmm. so he's he's not as well known in the kind of spiritual seeker audience type, you know, people that go to retreats or are learning about the mystics. He's mm -hmm. just not known in those, those uh, areas. So I, uh, because every time I gave a talk about him, people were rushing the stage saying, who is this? Why haven't I heard about him? Yeah, you know, what, what can I learn more? Mm -hmm. So... So I thought, okay, there's a lot of work to, to do. But it was also during the pan, uh, as, as time went on and the, the pandemic rolled, started rolling through, I got a, an email um, out of the blue from an acquisitions editor saying, are you working on anything? And I'm like, uh, not really. <laughs> and so she said, uh, was there anything you're excited about? I said, oh, you know, I thought about writing a book on Howard Thurman for spiritual seekers, but uh, 
I don't know. And so she said, well, let's, you know, let's put together a proposal. And so, it, so I, I actually just recently wrote an essay on called uh, Savor the Serendipities, right? Because mm. it was like things kept coming to me. Uh, you know, the, the Howard Thurman Papers Project, they finished all five volumes. Um, somebody sent me an email about taking a class with Walter Fluker, who's a, you know, one of the preeminent uh, Thurman scholars. Uh, Peter Eisenstadt comes out with a 400-page historical biography. <laughs> and uh, I knew I was doing this, but I started collecting books on Howard Thurman before I started writing the book. Hey. Yeah, you're, just, you're just sort of looking online and you're like, oh, that looks interesting. And I actually even found um, a, the first book that he had published. Mm -hmm. um, it's called The Greatest of These. And they're just really sort of prose poems around um, the that Corinthian verse. Uh, and I'm about to get that. <laughs> well, no, I don't note. know if you I, I don't know if you can get it. So it was it was published in 1944. Lord. And it was on one of those kind of like you know little marketplace places, right? Um, and uh, so I got it cheap, right? <laughs> and I got it home and he had signed it. So whoa. I was just like, whoa, so I have it hidden in my house. <laughs> Lizzie, you better <laughs> before, before we all pull up. I don't, okay. I don't, I don't, you know, it was just, it was just luck. I mean, I don't think you can actually find it. I don't even mm. think it's out there. I just, mm. I stumbled across one that happened to be available at that wow. time. Wow. So I, I love this backstory. And um, that leads me to this question of, your your journey in understanding uh, contemplation a bit in mysticism, and if you could even help us with how do you define those words? Because for some, mystic is a new word, and you know, for others, it's it's common knowledge. But for some, it's actually a scary word, right? Like yes. they, they they there's all these implications of yes. of mysticism, right? Yes. And then even the contemplative, there's so many different ideas of what yes. it is, and it's usually predominated by a white discourse and 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 people. So, give us some thoughts around contemplation and mysticism. So I think I I know that Thurman was born a mystic. I think I was born a contemplative, but I didn't have a vocabulary. To describe mm. that so I used to like to go sit out in the wind just uh, from the from probably the age four if I saw the wind blowing I would just go sit there I thought it was just so calm and peaceful and people would come by the house and they'd look out there and they'd say to my parents what is she doing <laughs> so they, you know they were like well she's not I wasn't doing anything I was just basking in the wind very peaceful. And I think that people that are drawn to a sense of, of God's presence are contemplatives. Uh, and sometimes that's in nature. Sometimes that's in, you know, that, that particular note in some song like Precious Lord or Amazing Grace, right? I mean, it's just mm. like you all, you know, you're just, you feel connected in some mm. kind of way. Um, but it can also be, you know, sitting in silence for those people that, you know, prefer to do that. Uh, but it's, or you could be in the kitchen chopping, you know, celery and just note, note that there's this kind of presence 
um, divine presence around you. So contemplatives, I think, are people that are just kind of drawn to that kind of uh, sense of presence or living in the presence. Um, whereas mystics are uh, often have some uh, particular transcendent experience. It's like an experience that, that you rarely have, or you, you know, when you have one, you're like, oh, what was that, right? It could be a vision. Uh, Thurman had visions, as well as this sense of being connected to everything, you know, the birds and uh, the plants and the rocks and, you know, every, you know, so he would have, you know, he'd be uh, rowing along the Halifax River or walking down the beach or in the woods, and he would just have this sense of unity of oneness with everything and you know he writes about it in his autobiography with head and heart the autobiography mm -hmm. of Howard Thurman about how he had these experiences as a young boy and he didn't have a vocabulary for it mm -hmm. and it really wasn't until he crossed paths with Rufus Jones who was a Quaker mystic um, practicing a different form of mysticism that mm -hmm. uh, he realized that oh this is what mysticism is and embarked then on a semester study of the formal uh, sort of religious category of mysticism. So, yeah. and what was beautiful about what um, Thurman gave us was uh, this idea that um, for him, um, you know, mystics are people that have, uh, a, a, um, they have an experience of God. And mm -hmm. I, I always, and, and when people ask me, well, so what's a mystic? It's a person who has a direct experience of God. It could be in, in terms of a vision, or it could be a dream, or it could be a sense of presence, or it could be an audible. I get direct audibles. Um, you know, something will come up in me and, and actually tell me, especially if it's something, uh, if it's an emergency or, you know, something very serious, I will hear a voice say, girl, get up and go find or beeper, whatever, right? You know, just that, and that happened to me when I was going through my transplant. You know, I just heard this voice say, "Find your beeper," and of course, it went off three hours later. So, 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 so people have different kinds of experiences, but uh, Thurman also felt like that there were different kinds of mystics, um, and that there are those people who feel like um, their experience with God is just for them. It's like, you know, this is my thing with God, or mm -hmm. I've been kind of chosen to have these visions or, or, or whatever it might be for them. For other people, um, there are those people who are, have these kind of experiences and they're trying to figure it out. You know, he calls them kind of intellectual type of mystics yeah. where they're like saying, like, really, what is going on in the mystical experience? Like, how does, how is this happening? Um, and then, of course, there is uh, the light within mystics, which is more of the Quaker tradition who believe that we all carry the light within us, um, you know, the divine presence, you know, God inside of us. And so uh, he considered himself a light within mystic. I think I would probably say that I am one of those too, even though I you know, have had different kinds of mystical experiences. Uh, mm. a, a feeling like I'm carrying the divine with me, you mm. know, everywhere I go. Uh, mm. And then, of course, he had a category for what he called occult mystics, right? Who are those who are dealing with the psychic, he called them psychic sciences. 
That mm-hmm. was a really nice way to put it. Yeah. But um, and that's I think that's the part that people get stuck on when they hear the term mysticism, is that they immediately go to, oh, this is some kind of uh supernatural weird stuff, right? Yeah. Um and um I think Thurman would say, well, there are those people out there that are probably doing that, but not all mystics would fall in that category. And so to mm-hmm. to to destigmatize yes. the, the entire uh, endeavor, he basically uh, felt like creative encounter or religious mm-hmm. experience was a much better terms for describing what it was that people were going through. Um, yeah. To just get rid of this mystic thing you know, or, or mysticism as a word. Yeah, I love that. And I think that that will speak to so many people uh, both hearing your experiences and hearing those classifications, um, especially Black folks, I feel like, you know, those those terms aren't used often. And for me, uh, as a child, I grew up as an atheist, right? So I definitely didn't have this language. <laughs> but I was always drawn to early mornings for some reason. <laughs> like, I have no idea, but I would just be up uh, before the sun awakened, and I would just be uh, at peace thinking um, on all types of things about the universe and the world. Um, as I remember at six, thinking about just the, you know, what happens in life? You know, <laughs> I guess six years old, asking these really profound questions early in the morning hour. And so for me, I didn't have that language then. Um, I was always drawn to be a contemplative um, in just that slow down pace to reflect and think. And the mystic part came later, but I think that was always intertwined with who I was. I just didn't have that language at all. And no one could guide me in that at all. Well, I think there's two things that are really important about what you just said. And that is that in early morning, Early morning is probably one of the stillest times of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wrote a poem on that. That's so beautiful. Did you? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's something special about stillness. And I really do, you know, I don't want to get into some weird discussion of it, except for that it seems to be an expression of God. And I think we, as, as um, sort of human spirits, are drawn to that. So anytime there's a space, I mean, for me, I, I discovered, uh, it's not like it was the first time, but just how powerful it was, was I was at the Grand Canyon and the stillness emanating out of that canyon, it could knock you over. So then I started paying attention to where stillness showed up, you know, like in my backyard or um, early morning or Sunday morning is probably the stillest time of the week. Christmas morning is probably the stillest day morning of the year. Wow, yeah. Nobody's out there with all that energy, right? So Mm. you can actually feel the stillness. So I think many people are naturally drawn to that because it's it's peaceful and I think it's healing. Mm. And so, and it seems like to me, it's the time when we receive a lot of wisdom. I know I do. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I love that. You know, we're talking about the stillness and, you know, usually connected with contemplatives, contemplative prayer um, is is silence coupled with that stillness, right? And 
you just talked about it and just being able to settle down and 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 be in silence uh go about your life in silence right it, to some degree and i love that you cover it so much in this book and how it informed howard thurman and and yourself but something that i also love that you you did is on page 38 you have this section where you say that silence may not be for everyone and I would love for you to just give a few thoughts on that, because I think a lot of people will resonate with that. Like, when is silence? It might not be for someone. You know, I think this is part of my psychology background that just sort of understood that there are times when uh, when you're trying to settle down or settle in when you're very quiet that all kinds of things bubble up. And so both yes. the, 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 the great presence of the divine can bubble up, but also all that, all the wounding, all the, you know, any abuse that you've had. And particularly if you've been through something traumatic recently, um, or if you're in the grieving process, I, you know, sometimes it's not good to be quiet. Uh, so I always, uh, uh, like particularly in my retreats, I like to provide that caution to people that if if there's been something going on in your life recently that um, might be un, uh, uh, be disturbing, then maybe, you know, silence is not the, the best thing for you right now. So, um, and, you know, there are obviously other kinds of contemplative practices besides silence. I mean, you know, you could be, you know, it's so funny. You could be chanting, you could have a mantra, and people say, oh, a mantra, that sounds like that's that stuff from the East. No, how about Lord have mercy? <laughs> or, or uh, you know, peace be still. Or I can give you, you know, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You can use that as a mantra if you need to quiet your mind in a different sort of way. Mm -hmm, uh, yeah. So, yeah. So, so I, uh, I, I always smile um, at people who make those comments, particularly I ran into one woman who was Catholic. I said, now, don't you recite the rosary? Like, oh, you're like, you're afraid of mantras and you recite the rosary? <laughs> Let's be serious. That, that's, but see, it's like people get the, the terminology all fouled up in their minds and they associate things with things when in fact they're practicing the same thing, but just doing it differently. So mm, I love that. Yeah. And I love, I love that you even gave some on ramps to people that maybe you can't be silent, but there are other things that you can do to enter into uh, that centered down state, right? And it right. made me think of Barbara Holmes' book, yes. uh, Joy Unspeakable, yes, um, absolutely. where she talks about all of this, these different ways that Black contemplatives can uh, engage with the divine, right? They might be centered down but, you know, be shouting. They might be mm -hmm. centered down, but singing, right? right. Um, so I thought of that when you were talking. Yeah, I think anything that is able to move us out of this constant ego chatter, you know, about what's going on, yeah. like, oh, well, the guy, my bills, right? So that, you know, because I think, I think the presence, I think God is always there, always speaking to us, but we can't even begin to hear anything because we've got this ego chatter going on about mm -hmm. this, that, or the other. You know, we're ruminating about something. Yeah. And so it's those moments that take us out of that. 
whether mm -hmm. it's, you know, shouting in church or dancing or whatever that might be. I, I even had some people over for tea once. It was like time stopped for a couple hours because we were so into, you know, trying out these different teas or whatever and eating scones or, you know, whatever it was. It was like contemplative. It was like we just were present. Um, and so you kind of like can step out of your own narrative or your own life for a few minutes, yeah. you know, and just be in the present and not be engulfed by all that worry from yesterday or what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or, you know, all of that. Um, I love that. I love that. Um, yeah, that ability to connect with people and that. Um, be fully present mm -hmm. i um am thinking about a portion from the book well many portions that you 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 schooled me on as far as um how it there being this um mystic activist mm -hmm. um and i would love to hear just some just some thoughts on that because i you know, there's often this tension that goes with, you know, being spiritual and being this contemplative person. Um, Cole Arthur Riley is someone I think of. She talks about this often. Um, but also, you do want to act in this world. And I didn't know parts of his story that intersected with uh, Dr. King's um, and his influence on the civil rights movement, his thoughts about civil rights. So yeah, I, I'm just curious. Just give us some snippets, some, snippets. <laughs> some thoughts. That was helpful to me. Well, I think that people oftentimes, when they again think about mysticism um, or mystical experience, it's like you're uh, or mystics. It's like they're isolated. You know, they're in cloistered in some place, praying 24 hours a day. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's not how it's manifested, certainly in the African-American community. Uh, and, you know, there were some uh, that there's that lovely book by Joy Bostick, which I heard somebody refer on a program, mm. um, you know, Black female mystics in the 19th century, uh, you know, about hearing uh, the call to to do something, to preach or to go, you know, work with some people um, and, uh, you know, having to fight to to uh, to work through that, but I, I sort of feel like that, uh, and Thurman felt this way that, um, and he writes about it. He says, you know, uh, for for the mystic uh, when they meet God, God has something for them to do, um, and so it's not like yeah. you're just sitting in the room right by yourself having this special kind of communion with God yourself. And the kind of um, mysticism that Rufus Jones introduced to him, this affirmation mysticism, really says when you go down into God, you come up in community or oneness. And that there, it stirs a moral imperative that you work to remove all the barriers, all the human imposed barriers to, or which divide the oneness. So it's almost as if you can't just stay in your house, right? Mm -hmm. Say, okay, I'm going to be a mystic and I'm just going to be mystical around the house. There, it, 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 it sort of uh, breaks open this part of you that has a sacred call. 
And so everybody has a call. And the thing that was, was uh, particularly amazing about his connection to the civil rights movement, besides the fact that his wife, Sue Bailey Thurman and, and uh, King's mother, Alberta King, were roommates in high school, like, oh. was the spirit <laughs> setting this up or what? I was like, I did not know this. <laughs> But nonetheless, um, I think that uh, he, he, he really felt like uh, uh, people needed to know who they are and not just what people told them about themselves, but who are you really? Who, who is the self that God created? Because you know, you, babies arrive in this world, they don't know anything, right? And so much of what they learn about themselves is from other people, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, his grandmother, Lady Nancy Ambrose, wanted to make sure that his primary identity was, was one of a child of God. I want you to understand you are a child of God. You are a holy child of God. And so once he got that, and that sense from his mother that he would be cared for by God, then he was able to kind of, not completely, but kind of inoculate himself from all this negativity in this Jim Crow South place that he was growing up in or, or other experiences that he had. It's like, oh, I'm from God. I'm not any of these things that these people are saying about me. And as a result of that, I am worth having my personal dignity. So it gives you, um, as, as he and Gandhi said together when they met, it gives you this, this sort of going in and learning about who you truly are gives you a sense of self that uh, would uh, allow you to have the strength to go out there and start working on uh, resisting or removing some of these injustices. So, the, but the, the real issue for him was, well, so, but what is your call, right? He knew he wasn't supposed to be Martin Luther King Jr. That was not his call but he believed everybody was called. So the mm. question becomes, you know, what's your call? Because e even in the civil rights movement, you had people doing all kinds of stuff. You had people yeah. taking care of children, cooking, lawyers behind the scene, bailing people out of jail and filing briefs. You had, you know, artists and singers. Just think about Billie Holiday, what she went through, right? All of those people were doing something. Um, and so he would suggest that, um, if you have these mystical experiences, they're for a reason. And so don't let that just think it's just for you. As a matter of fact, he felt like your spirituality and spiritual growth isn't just for you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like once you get to a certain point, then you're supposed to, you're supposed to be paying attention to how you're being called to use this, yeah. this gift or this talent. So for just to give you a quick example, I believe I, somewhere along the line, or was born with the gift of discerning spirits. Give me 15 minutes, and I probably know your story, and you don't have to say a whole lot, right? Just, okay. So, at, you know, early on, I thought, well, I'm out there reading people, and probably reading people, and telling them about themselves, and they don't want to know. Right? Truly. So, but once I understood that it's such a gift to be able to have that, in helping people find their spiritual path or helping people to understand that they are spirits or helping people to, to begin to feed their spirits in a way that they 
can grow and bloom, that's, that's what the gift was for. It was not for exposing people who didn't want to be exposed. So, so, so that's, that. that's my point. My point is that everybody has a gift. Um, and I think sometimes we get kidnapped by the scripture in Matthew about many are called, few are chosen. Mm-hmm. All are called, few are few choose to listen. Mm-hmm. You you preach. <laughs> listen, <laughs> pass the offering plate. I I love that it it gives dignity to each person, and I think it has a profound relevance today when we think about the continued calls for justice, activism work. There's often, um, you know, this these sides that are pitted against one another with, you know, sp- very spiritual people, people that are on the ground, and that need not be so, is what I'm hearing right. and what you're, what you're yes. saying. <laughs> you know, all are part of this movement and all can help, right? That spiritual part can refresh, can focus can be part of the the thing I think of as you were talking I think of Dr. King and uh tell him about the dream Martin um <laughs> tell him you need somebody from the sidelines to help you do this good work if we didn't have the tell him about the dream Martin we wouldn't have heard Dr. King's speech right and so yeah I was thinking that as you were talking everyone has a part to play that is valid right. And Thurman knew his part to play, um, but he was concerned, right? He was with God and concerned about, you know, liberation too. Absolutely. And I think that uh, he was highly criticized for not marching and participating more, but he said that was not his, you know, that was not his area of expertise pretty much. He felt like he was supposed to hold the spiritual space and to advise and counsel people as they came in and out. Um, and, and he said, that's really what he thought the church was for anyway. But, you know, it's to hold the spiritual space for other people who need to, who feel called, you know, to be out. Um, but that, that uh, his call was not in that area. But, he, but, but you can also see his influence with, you know, he was, he was all about centering down and you know, finding that space within yourself that is at peace and calm, that was part of the training. That was that you needed to know how to be centered so that when somebody spit in your face or slapped you or whatever they were doing, doing those demonstrations, that you could remain calm and not return violence with violence. So you Mm. saw that influence there. But I think what I, I would take part of what you're saying one step further, because I talk about, in some contexts, sacred activists. So mm-hmm. sacred activists are people who have come to understand that if you invite the spirit in for, for consultation, right, for mm-hmm. discernment, then you can actually be guided as to what you are supposed to be doing. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's almost as if, okay, and I do this in my work in terms of Uh, writing or presenting uh, material, I will ask spirit. So what, what do you, what do you want me to present to these, these group of spirits that I'm going to talk to tomorrow or Mm -hmm. next week or whenever, right? Tell me where I need to look or what I need to, I need. But um, in terms of activism, I think that 
it's so important to start to invite spirit in so that you know where to go, when to go there, what to say, um, mm. as well as to go in for spiritual renewal, because mm. otherwise you're just going to get burned out. Mm. Right. So and if you think about that, that, that uh, scene from Selma where King is leading the people about to lead the people across the Edmund Pettus bridge and he stops and kneels down and he gets up and he turns everybody around. Mm. What was that but a moment of um, contemplative spirituality? It's like, okay, let me wait. Let me just check in. Hmm, maybe not a good time. Yeah. It's just such a perfect example of that. And mm. I think we all have that capability, but we're just not, we're not utilizing our spiritual resources. Mm. You know, they're all there and they're all available, mm -hmm. but it's like, oh, I know better. No, you don't. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> Look at the evidence. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. My Lord. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, I mean, sometimes we don't know the bigger picture. We can't see, our brains can't even conceive the bigger picture. So if we could be humble enough to just pause and ask, like mm. in this moment, what is it that you really want me to do? Or do I need to turn around? Or do I need to... Uh, not make this phone call? Do I need to not tell this person about themselves? Right? Mm. I had, I, and you know, I have a nickname for the Holy Spirit. I call her Sophia. Oh, <laughs> hey, 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 hey. So, hey. So, so Sophia and I work together and mm. uh, Sophia will tap me on the shoulder every now and then and say, don't say that. Pause. <laughs> I I love that. I I uh, jokingly call the spirit sometimes with me in that vein, uh, the spirit of the hush. And <laughs> often I have four brothers and two sisters. I often need the spirit to tap. Hey, hush. <laughs> like just let that spirit descend, right? <laughs> so kind of hush right now. Um and just knowing when to speak, when not to speak is part of that spirituality for me, right? Like knowing having the confidence in God to, okay, wait, okay, yeah, no, 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 I'm not supposed to speak, it's okay, um, yeah, I love that, and the sacred activist part, I, I love that, I really resonate with that. We have so many people who have been that from Moses on, right, mm -hmm. <laughs> who are, who are not just making decisions, but they're making decisions in consultation mm. with the divine, or with the spirit, or wh whoever it is that they are hearing their guidance you know, their divine yeah. guidance from. Mm, I love that. One last question for you. I'm so curious as this question. As you have done so much research related to Thurman, uh, both in the book and I'm sure on the cutting room floor, there's there's stuff that didn't get in here. <laughs> yeah, my, my, my editor cut like 10,000 words. I, like, <laughs> I know, I know editors be like, hey, <laughs> cut this. So I know there's a lot. There's in the archives. Oh, how <laughs> so much stuff. Are there any things that were surprising to you? Um, any things that were like especially meaningful to you as you, you know, studied this man and his life uh, and his work? Uh, yeah. Well, first, I mean, I knew that Thurman was deep, but he's, 
really deep. It's like, Truly. there's <laughs> nothing surface about him, right? <laughs> so if you think you've got it, it's like, no, you need to go down a couple levels, right? So the depth of his work and his thinking, it's like, whoa, it's just, I'm ama it's amazing. I also was surprised that, you know, he had womanist tendencies. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, uh, when they were about to uh, make this pilgrimage to India, uh, this group approached him and they said, well, yeah, we got these people going. And so he says, well, what about my wife? They said, well, you know, and he said, no, I'm not going unless she goes, right? I know, I know that's right. Come on. <laughs> and, really? She, I mean, she was amazingly bright yeah, and all of those things, right? So, but there was also um, a woman, Olive Schreiner, whose work uh, influenced him, particularly her writing. Um, he read about her um, in uh, seminary. And uh, he actually edited a volume of her work called Tracks to the Water's Edge. She was a black, she was a white, not black, she was a white uh, activist, female activist fighting for women's rights in South Africa, you know, during that time in the twenties or before. Um, and so certainly very influenced by her and um, in terms of, I think, the style of some of his prose writings, um, he clearly was uh, a prophet way ahead of his, way ahead of his time. Um, uh, in, in one of his books, The Creative Encounter, he's really writing about neurotheology before we even had it. We could even think of the term neurotheology. Right? Wow. So, it's just, you know, it's just one of those amazing people that, that, you know, comes along and you're just like, oh my, I can't believe that. And I, I will say one other thing, he believed in the sanctity of the self mm -hmm. in a way that I had never, you know, I, I studied and taught about the self-concept, et cetera, but, he, you know, he was at a whole nother level that uh, there is a sanctity to, to the self, to every self. Um, and that we need to protect that. You, you got it when you were born because you were created by God, you're already worthy. You don't have to earn that. And so if you can just live that and live that with other people, no matter how they're behaving, it's like, you know, it's in there somewhere, despite the fact that they may be disconnected to it, but we mm -hmm. need to, you know, to, to really uh, pay attention to uh, the, the sanctity of the self um, and I know that, um, you had mentioned something about, you know, other surprises, like what were my surprises? Mm -hmm. And, uh, one of them, of course, not that I didn't know this, but publishing a book is a lot of work. <laughs> it's <laughs> like a, like a <laughs> full-time job. And, you know, I'm like thinking I'm retired all this, you know, <laughs> just write a look up a little thing, a little, you know, yeah, this book. Oh my God. No. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and they said they're not going to give you a deadline, but then they give you a deadline, you know. Just, exactly. <laughs> right. But I think the other thing was, uh, and I, I wrote an essay uh, about this called Savor the Serendipities. Um, I think, and, I, and of course, there's that chapter in there about sacred synchronicity in the book. Hmm. There are things that happen um, that, it's, as Thurman would say, it's just a, the evidence of God trying to help us along the path. And uh, I think that uh, we should pay attention um, and should uh, 
to utilize those serendipities or those synchronicities to, to, to benefit us being able to fulfill that sacred call. I love that. Professor Brown, thank you. I have so enjoyed talking with you, communion with you, reading your book. <laughs> I'm I'm just excited uh, to check out just more of your stuff, your, this essay. I'm, we're, we're curious, where can people find more of your writing? Uh, there, well, there's there there's a lot of my website, LaritaCohenBrown.com. There there are podcasts. Um, I need to get back to my blog, but you know I've been working on a book, so uh, I've neglected <laughs> it. Um, but that essay, uh, I think, is coming out later this month in women's women's writing, women's books. It's a it's mm. a uh, a uh, online kind of forum for women who are writing books. Uh, mm. But uh, I, um, you know, it's, it's funny how you think sometimes that you're done, but you're not done. Mm. And so, you know, I, I pretty much, you know, uh, thought I had retired, um, but it was almost like the spirit was just waiting for me to, you know, it's like, okay, that assignment's over. I've got another one for you over here. So uh, mm. uh, I've just been living that. And um and enjoying those uh, moments of uh, of surprise and uh, of uh, just there's something about being able to and I don't know if you've ever been in the presence of anybody uh, that you believe were living out their calling, but there's something mm. wonderful about that. Yeah, um, and especially when you have let it go, you know what I mean. That yeah. you're not trying to make it happen, but that it comes to you and says, "Here I am. Let's mm. go." Yeah. Hmm. I love that. Mm. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I thank you so much for inviting me. No problem. Mm. Amen, amen. Hey, everyone. It's Faith Brooks here. I'm so excited to let you know that my new book, Remember Me Now, A Journey Back to Myself and a Love Letter to Black Women is now available wherever books are sold. So go ahead and get yourself a copy, share it with a friend. And I am just so excited for you to get this book into your hands. And I can't wait for all of us to be able to talk about it soon. Black Coffee and Theology Pod is a production of Three Black Men, the podcast about theology, culture, and the world around us. Follow us on Twitter at Three Black Men. If you like the content that you are receiving here and want to receive more, whether that is in longer conversations, essays, devotions, and videos from either myself, Sam, or Trey, please sign up for for our Patreon at patreon.com slash three black men. Don't forget to like, rate, and review Black Coffee and Theology Pod as well as Three Black Men.